yeah, I definitely felt there were elements of racism that, that definitely contributed to my eating disorders. People would make offside comments about being Aboriginal and just the way that I look. What underpins everything is is colonisation and racism that has led to a lot of Aboriginal torture on their health issues and outcomes. I am this tall, slim, straight up and down figure and that always used to feel out of place because I am this little skinny, thin, size 8 or size 6 person. Looking back at my ancestors and seeing the way that they were built back then, you know, pre-colonisation, it made me proud that I still look like my ancestors, I still have the same figure. It all stems to our culture. One of our greatest strengths is our culture. The culture is diverse. Um, it is beautiful and it is rich. And it is the place where we draw our identity from. This is the Butterfly Podcast from your friends at Butterfly, Australia's national voice for body image issues and eating disorders. I'm Sam Eichen. In this episode, we're exploring how these mental health conditions affect Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. My name is Liz and I'm a proud Waramai woman. I am a psychologist who's undertaking the clinical endorsement program and I have just submitted a PhD, so hopefully soon to be doctor. As we've discussed on the show before, the stereotypical person with an eating disorder is a young, wealthy, white woman. But we know how dangerous stereotypes can be. As soon-to-be doctor Elizabeth Dale tells us, anyone from any mob can have eating or body image concerns. It's not just white Australians. It's only just been in the last year, thanks to leading research coming out of the Western Sydney University, which I was fortunate to be part of that research, that we now have um, sort of an insight into the prevalence rates. And surprisingly, it has shown that our communities experience eating disorders and body image um, dissatisfaction concerns at similar and or higher rates as the mainstream population. And research from Butterfly and many, many other sources tells us that body image concerns can often lead to eating disorders. My name's Gary Gara Mundine and I am a Bunjalung, Radjuri, Gamilaroi and Ewan woman, uh, originally from Dubbo, New South Wales, currently living in Canberra, ACT. I'm a public servant, come down here for uni. I was raised in Dubbo, New South Wales in my early years, up until I was about 11, almost 12. I was very lucky to grow up on my grandfather's traditional country. So I am traditionally from Dubbo with my family group there. And I was very close to my like relatives there. My cousins were pretty much my brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of seven. So we always had a full house and it was just a really great time and place to grow up. I was a very active kid. We all were. Uh, I played every single sport there was. So, you know, health was never at the forefront of our mind. We were, well, actually, we were quite poor. So, you know, I think for us, it was more just about getting food on the table and into our bellies than nutrition or, you know, weight management or anything like that. For Gara, moving away from her home and into the big city was a huge change. And the transition from country to city life came with some challenges. 
it was definitely when we moved off country. We had to move to Sydney because my parents got jobs there and I was the youngest one. I I was I went into high school by myself to an all-girls Catholic school, which was a huge shift for me from a public um, school in Dubbo. Uh, and I think, you know, if I, even though I had a very multicultural group of friends, I was the only Aboriginal one. Uh, there were very few Aboriginal girls at the school and I really noticed a different a difference in my makeup, my body, makeup to everybody else's, particularly when, you know, I hit puberty and my body really started to change and I noticed that my friends could just eat all of these kinds of food and it didn't make a difference to them. They were still really naturally small, whereas I was just made to be bigger <laughs> and curvier. An eating disorder is not a lifestyle choice and it's not a diet gone wrong. In fact, for many of us, it's a really complex mental condition. Aboriginal mental health concerns are quite complex and that stems from the intergenerational trauma and the socio-economic, political and linguistic disadvantages that stem from colonisation. So colonisation continues to have an impact in our health and wellbeing um, and that feeds into um, systems of care and um, it creates a range of access and engagement barriers for us to access appropriate treatment and care in the ways that mainstream populations are able to. It was definitely a big element being away from country, um, particularly uh, with my second time I had an eating disorder later in life in at university. Um, my mother had been diagnosed with cancer twice and um, I'd lost my little sister. And all of that and being off country, living in Canberra, I just felt really alone and disconnected. And I had nothing to connect me back to culture and keep me grounded. And I found that I was turning to food to bring me happiness. dealing with those issues as well I had a lot of anxiety and 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 definitely depression it was under undiagnosed but um yeah I, I attempted to get it diagnosed but unfortunately um I did not have a very supportive doctor when you reached out for that support it wasn't there no it wasn't and it, well, I, you know I'd gone to the aboriginal health services looking for you know culturally supportive help um, but unfortunately I got a doctor that was non-Indigenous um, and she didn't quite uh, grasp the importance of the situation and what I was trying to tell her. There are a range of um, barriers for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to access mental health care services generally. So these can relate to things like um, uh, inavailability of services or a lack of services in rural and remote regions, the majority of services being provided by mainstream service providers lack um, cultural uh, competency and cultural sensitivity. 
My name's Jed Fraser. I'm a proud Bidjara and Mandandangi man uh, with family connections to southwest Queensland, in particular Charlwell Orgathella. Um, so I am a PhD candidate with UQ and CSIRO, and my topic is looking at Indigenous Youth Health Assessment. Let's take a step back and have a look at um, sort of the history around eating um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So prior to colonisation, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people ate seasonally. They lived off the land, they ate healthily, they moved, they hunted for their food and had a very healthy diet. And then from colonisation and um, particularly, you know, historical policies and different things um, and how the social determinants of health play into this, and particularly the socioeconomic status of a lot of communities. For example, you know, to get, for example, a, a healthy piece of cos lettuce, you might be paying $10 a head in a remote community, where in the city it might be a dollar or two. And when it comes to um, the community, it's gonna, it's been sitting on a truck for a week. But deep-seated and historical cultural issues are not the only barriers preventing everybody from getting the care that they need. Other barriers can be cost for treatment, cost for ongoing treatment. So we know that eating disorders require often long-term treatment commitment, which ongoing costs can be an issue for our communities who are already economically disadvantaged. My name is Felicia Fox. I am an Aboriginal entertainer and activist. I'm quite prominent in the drag queen little community here in Sydney and yeah I've been performing for about four and a half years and yeah I've been working closely with the Butterfly Foundation since 2018 so I'm very proud to be here talking with you. I grew up out in Campbelltown and you know being a First Nations person growing up being connected to culture is very important it's a part of who you are and that identity otherwise we'll just be you know another statistic to the government or whatever else but knowing about culture and knowing things about you know my past and my ancestors have helped me really come to terms with who I am as a person and who I'm meant to be and where I'm going. You know a lot of our elders and a lot of people in our communities don't see these issues affecting our mob because our mob haven't really spoken out about this so I guess just now I think it's, it's coming out a lot more nowadays and, and a lot of more Aboriginal communities are speaking out on body image issues and you know diets and stuff like that. You know our life expectancy and Aboriginal male life expectancy is the lowest in the world and um, hearing that from my auntie, it sparked an interest in me to you know, to go deeper with finding out ways that our bodies are supposed to live and out ways that our bodies are supposed to you know, move on being First Nations people. But you know, with the genocide and with the oppression that happened with colonialism, the breakdown systems of our bodies, the breakdown system of our diets, all happened as well. So the limited research evidence also means that there are a lack of um, culturally appropriate, culturally validated screening and assessment instruments. Aboriginal people in Torres Strait Islanders um, accessing 
healthcare are not necessarily being screened for or assessed for eating disorders because with the limited research, it's not being highlighted as a potential issue, um, particularly in people who may not appear as typical eating disordered, i.e. they look undernourished or underweight. The current approaches to treatment are very westernised and they don't include culture or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's holistic perceptions of health and well-being. You've got things like social media that play a factor. Um, it's really easy for me to go onto Instagram or other social media and look at you know these people with their perfect bodies and, and all this uh, unrealistic expectations of what particularly young people should look like. So there's a societal sort of conversation that needs to happen around body image and, and eating disorders and really shift the paradigm. You know, using culture as a fundamental principle that should underpin everything that we do in this space, um, particularly, as I mentioned, going back to pre-colonisation and, and how we ate and, and what we did. So there's, there's all, these, all these things that, um, and it's really complex, all these things that come into play in terms of this. When I really got to looking at my statuesque figure, I am this tall, slim, straight up and down figure. And I always used to look at the males in my family that I'm around now, and you know, they're all athletic, um, very proactive football players and you know, basketball players. So they're very big and built and muscly. And I always used to feel out of place because I am this little skinny, thin size eight or size six person. So I guess just looking back at my ancestors and seeing the way that they were built back then, you know, pre-colonization. They were running around hunting animals and eating from the land and getting the proper nourishment that our bodies were supposed to be getting and are supposed to be getting. That really made me come to terms with my body and it really made me start loving my figure and the way I'm made and built. Is that because they looked like you? Yes. It, really, it made me proud that I still look like my ancestors. I still have the same figure, I guess. And I always saw things in social media, I always saw things on platforms for bigger people when it came to bigger people being embracive of their um, appearance. And I never really saw issues of skinny people struggling with you know, the way they looked or speaking out on the way that they felt. It all stems to our culture. One of our greatest strengths is our culture. And across Australia, the culture is diverse. Um, it is beautiful and it is rich and it is the place where we draw our identity from which is so important when we're talking about body image and eating disorders. It's the anchor upon which we, we connect to each other, we connect to country, we, we have a language to express ourselves and to articulate our needs and to, um, to share our strengths um, and, and to be creative and it is the source of our health and well-being. The past few years, I started really getting into traditional weaving. Uh, I reconnected with my aunties back home and uh, they've been teaching me all the different weave traditional weaving styles and having that here with me in Canberra really connects me back home. And so to have that almost piece of culture in my hand has made such a huge difference because it's like, you know, whenever I'm feeling anxious, or, you know, a little bit sad, 
or, you know, I'm st- I can feel myself starting to get into some bad habits and I, I, I pick that back up and I can feel my culture and my connection to it and I just it puts me in a safe space. Everyone we spoke to in this episode said a cultural connection was important for their mental health, but not everyone, initially at least, had a direct connection to their traditional culture. I'm an Aboriginal man. I grew up not so much connected to culture growing up because um, I was fostered out and then later adopted. My backgrounds were Adrian and Watcher Bullock. So my family come from Gimbal of Horsham in Victoria and Dubbo Wellington area in New South Wales. This is AJ Williams Chen. He works as a cultural mentor and a master mental health first aid instructor. Nothing was really talked about within my family. Nothing was taught at school about eating disorders. All I kind of knew was that of a typical kind of eating disorder like um, anorexia, because most times people think they can notice it, but nothing was actually talked about. And I think that's why it was never picked up early. I love dancing. I, I actually did dancing for a number of years. And so I was always sort of body conscious to start off with. But I also was at a school where there was lots of lots of bullying. I seemed to be a brunt of a lot of the bullying that was going on. Uh, the fact that uh, I, I did dancing, the fact that I was an Aboriginal kid, the fact that I had grown up in the foster care and then adopted. So there was a lot of things that people wanted to pick, pick on me about. And I didn't know actually how to cope with all the bullying that was actually going on. People knew that there was something wrong because I was, I was passing out a lot. The interesting thing in all of this is that I, I remained the same weight throughout the whole process. I spent about uh, once a week or once a fortnight just passing out on, on my way to school, uh, on the bus. You know, I already had enough attention from kids, let alone passing out in the classroom a couple of times but again everyone was responding to it to it as like some sort of medical issue so I kind of had ECGs and MRIs to try to work out what was actually happening but I started to understand it myself that this was something that I could no longer control I was in year 10 at school and I was in science, sitting in, on those stools in the science lab. And I kind of looked down from the stool and all of a sudden um, the whole room kind of span and I fell and I, and I passed out in the science lab. They called an ambulance because they weren't able to like wake me up. And then I kind of have memories of kind of being in the ambulance and I realised that one of my teachers uh, were in the ambulance with me. And she kind of mentioned to the paramedics that I do think AJ might actually have an eating disorder. The experience of an eating disorder can be very different for different people. And they present differently, which is why some people go undiagnosed for so long. But regardless of how it presents, body image issues and eating disorders can weaken not just body, but mind and spirit as well. How could I have an eating disorder when I wasn't <clears throat> eating? I don't remember much more of the trip, but what it must have done is triggered the paramedics to actually pass that information on to the hospital staff because for the first time when I was at the hospital, the conversations 
changed. They were talking to me about my stress levels. They were talking a bit about what are some things that are actually happening in my family. What are some things that are actually happening within uh, the school? I was kind of reluctant initially to talk about any of the issues, but then slowly I kind of realized that they're actually treating me a lot differently. Like I don't actually have um, an IV in my arm and I don't actually have to have all these tests and they weren't taking my blood. For the first time, I think they started seeing what was actually happening to me as not a physical thing, but more of a mental health related issue. And this is where I could start to then get some help AJ was lucky enough to find the right treatment eventually. But for people who live in rural and remote areas, finding the right treatment can be very difficult. Some of these communities do not have, they don't have any economic stability. They have, you know, there's very little employment and there's very little access to health services. However, there's the other side of things as well where people don't want to go from the lands and lose that connection to country. So this whole interesting dynamic comes into play, but there needs to be more done in terms of um, what's historically happened in Australia and in terms of the uh, contemporary issues. Some of our rural remote communities have, you know, third world conditions, and obviously that's going to affect health outcomes. And I I know there's a lot of different organisations and policies and strategies going on around the moment. There's obviously the Close the Gap reform that has all these new indicators particularly around some of the social determinants of health. But what, what, what underpins you know, everything is, is colonisation and racism that has led to you know, a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health issues and outcomes. We are missing a positive presence. Um, we're, we're underrepresented. We're often negatively portrayed. Um, and when images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are used in the media, it's often stereotypical. By that I mean dark skin, dark eyes, darker hair, which for fairer-skinned Indigenous people, fairer-skinned Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, can perpetuate body image concerns by feeling as though they don't um, look like the typical traditional Aboriginal person. I've definitely learnt over these years that, you know, it's something that you really need to talk about. You know, you can try and be as strong as you want, but, you know, it's just going to eat away at you on the inside, you know, and it's going to it's gonna come out in one way or another, um, physically or mentally. You, you've really got to, you know, talk about it and get it out there because you're never going to get better until you start to talk about it. And you also need to build strong support systems around you you know it's only in the last you know 15 years that it's kind of been recognized that actually males actually do have eating disorders as well even after my my experiences it was still a number of years before society kind of kind of recognized do males actually have eating disorders other barriers included that i don't think my family had a really good understanding of what was actually happening as well yeah I think their major response was, well, if you just ate, there wouldn't be a problem. Or if you just stopped vomiting, there wouldn't be a problem. So that was more of just just stop doing this. I wish I could actually had a, a male uh, to talk to that actually had an eating disorder in the past. Even in the hospital in therapy, all my peers at the time were all female. All the 
the nurses that I worked with were mainly female as well. Everyone kept saying to me, this is very unusual. I've never worked with many males before. And even those comments were kind of telling me that I'm not normal. And I don't think they realized that at the time, but telling me that I was not normal because statistically, you know, more women were diagnosed with eating disorders at the time. All the literature is around females. You know, I just wanted someone to actually go, this, you know, for what you're experiencing, you know, this is quite normal for an eating disorder. But I was always told that I was not normal and my behaviours weren't normal. It, it became a huge barrier as well for me actually seeking help because I didn't know what was normal. One of the most basic things that we keep saying all the time is that talking helps. Reaching out to talk about it with friends, family, mob, or the Butterfly Helpline can help. Butterfly service is free and confidential, and the counsellors have ongoing cultural safety training. Don't tackle it alone. There's no shame in talking about it. And for community and for service providers, let's tackle these issues together. Let's come together and draw from our culture so that we can obtain a better understanding of body image issues and eating disorders within our communities and how they're affecting our communities. Let us also work collaboratively with mainstream services um, so that we can test if their knowledge about body image and eating disorders is helpful for us or not. And we can share with them our approaches to recovery so that we can build an inclusive and complementary evidence base that's going to really provide support for anybody experiencing an eating disorder because we know that eating disorders don't discriminate against race, culture, gender. They affect us all. Let's unite to tackle the challenges together. I think it's great that this conversation is happening and, um, you know, if there's any Aboriginal or any Aboriginal and Torres Strait people or anyone in, in general that's struggling with, uh, with body image or eating disorders, um, reach out and to the Butterfly Foundation or your local Aboriginal community-controlled health organisation to, to get help because a lot of the time um, other people will be on that journey. Um, yeah, you're not alone. Um, and I think it's, you know, moving away from that shame and stigma around this sort of thing and having these conversations is a really, really important, important piece of the puzzle. If you're having body image concerns or you're struggling with food and you need some support, Butterfly is there to help. Firstly, there's the National Helpline with free, confidential and culturally safe information and support for anyone struggling with body image or eating disorders, as well as anyone who cares for them. The Butterfly Helpline also provides information, resources and referrals to health professionals. The phone number is 1800 334673. You can remember that quite easily. It's 1-800-ED-HOPE. Butterfly also encourages you to check out their Every Body is Deadly campaign on the website, butterfly.org.au. And if you don't like talking on the phone, you can use web chat or email. The new chatbot kit is available online 24-7. The Butterfly podcast is an Icon Media production for Butterfly Foundation. I'm Sam Icon. I host, write and produce it with the assistance of Camilla Beckett and the Butterfly team. Our theme music is from Cody Martin, with additional music from Breakmaster Cylinder. And we'd like to thank our guests, soon to be Dr. Elizabeth Dale, Jed Fraser, Garigara Mundine, Felicia Fox, and AJ Williams Chen. If you'd like to support the Butterfly Podcast, 
the best thing you can do is to share it with someone you think is going to get some value from it. They'll find it wherever they listen to podcasts. <laughs>